Well, hello, Heartland. So good to see all of you. So glad that you're here. Welcome, especially all of you who are joining us online. Man, I can't wait to see you. It's just going to be uh, a great day when all of us are back together. But I'm so glad. Do you guys know that thousands of people are joining us right now online? So welcome wherever you're joining us from. We're glad you're here. And uh, you heard the news. Serve Day is coming. We've got some amazing opportunities to go out together. And that's just two weeks away. So pick up a red T-shirt. Get on a team. Uh, Find, find a way to come together on one day and let's go out and make a difference. And then next Sunday is the 4th of July, next Sunday. So we're going to throw an amazing party here. We're going to celebrate and we're going to roll out the red carpet and bring back the greatest hits of the last year's At The Movies uh, series. So I, I hope that you'll tell people about that. If you don't know what At The Movies is, it's, it's a movie message where we take the clips of a movie and that story tells the gospel and we share Christ through it. So I, I think you're going to love it. I hope you come back and bring out uh, people from your family and your neighborhood to experience probably, it's our most attended uh, and our highest uh, connecting uh, uh, service of the entire year. So come back out for that. Can't wait for you to experience it together. We'll have a few other surprises because it's 4th of July. We're going to have fun. But today, I want to invite you, uh, I want to, to just enjoy one of your favorite guest speakers. His name is Jonathan Wiggins. He's been here many times before, but he is one of my uh, favorite pastors in America. I got to meet him in a very uh, small setting with a few other pastors. And what I loved about him was how genuine and authentic he was. And we just connected in such a good way, and uh, we've, we've had a growing friendship. He pastors a, a great church in Loveland, Colorado, a multi-site church through the Association of Related Churches. And he's just become a dear brother. He's got four kids, a new grandson. He'll tell you about that. But most of all, I just love his, his authentic spirit. I love how smart he is. He's going to tell you that, that, uh, that, you know, he's just a normal guy, but I'm telling you, this is one of the smartest people that I've ever met as a pastor, and he's so humble. I can't wait for you to hear this message God's put on his heart. In fact, he wrote a book called Walking with Lions this year, and it's just a powerful, incredible book that I have sent to all of my friends, and I've asked him to come share part of that story and that message with us today. He'll be in the lobby, and he will be able to uh, sign a book and uh, let you have a copy of that. So I hope you'll take advantage of that. But without further ado, would you do me a favor? Give a great Harlan welcome. Put your hands together for my dear friend, Jonathan Wiggins. Hey, Harlan, how you guys doing? Come on, who's happy? All right, I'm looking around. I want you to know you look good. I see Jesus on you. Why don't you turn to your neighbor, show them your dental work. Actually, why don't you uh, turn to your neighbor, make eye contact, and repeat after me. I want you to say, I can see you in your future, and you look much better than you look right now. <laughs> Thank you for honoring God on this day and being in the house of God. And those that are joining uh, for, for reasons that have to do with your profession or just for the reasons that are your own, we want to just honor you. Uh, and, and say this is the reason we provide online worship experiences is for you and honor you in that. But if you're home simply out of habit, how many of you know it's a good time to come into the house of God? There's just nothing quite like being in the room. So just want to invite you guys back. I am uh, here from Loveland, Colorado. I come complete with a family. They send their love. This is my crew. All the way on the end is Maddie, my daughter. And then my daughter-in-law next to her is also named Maddie. So Maddie Grace, Maddie Rose. 
And then my son, Nathan, <clears throat> we're going to give you a little better picture of my grandson. I want you to see my grandson. He's super, super cute, super smart. And then Amy, somebody say, aw. We've been together 24 years. Hey, be praying for us. Uh, we're praying about getting married. I'm totally kidding with you guys. I was just saying if you're paying attention. It's, it's legal, I promise. Okay. And then, my, and then my son, Sam, who the last time I was here, he came with me and fell in love uh, with your pastor's family, and they fell in love with him, and then uh, Sarah. So this is a little bit of, better picture of my son, Johnny. Come on. Uh, yeah, so, hey, before I uh, uh, get into the message, I just want to give a shout-out uh, to you guys. You, you already know this, but you have some of the greatest pastors on, on the planet. Yeah, Pastor Darren and Lori, Lori uh, they have been kind to me. They've been generous with me, and I heard what... <laughs> When Pastor Darren introduced me, I thought, who is that guy? I want to have that guy preach at my church, that smart guy. Uh, but actually, you have a pretty smart uh, couple of leaders and incredible uh, citizens, just generous, thoughtful, stable, high integrity. So would you just give it up, show some honor for your pastors? They're, they're just amazing leaders. Yeah, you can do better than that. Come on. Pastor Darren asked me to talk to you a little bit from some concepts from a book that I wrote just a few months ago uh, called Walking with Lions. I'll explain some of that at the end of the message. Uh, John Maxwell, the author of 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, was kind enough to write the foreword uh, for me. I was asked to write this book by the Association of Related Churches and just to talk about how to be intentional in relationships. So if you just want to know how to be more intentional with relationships and let relationships make you and the people around you better... Uh, this book uh, is for you, and I'm happy to sign books and meet you uh, after the worship experience. The reason I was asked to do this is uh, because our team and people in our community have been walking through a process that we call walking with lions, and uh, it's just the idea of uh, finding God-honoring endurance and strength in the context of uh, godly relationships, and it's caught some national attention, and so I was asked to write this book just to help people to thrive. How many of you know We've been in a season of high trauma and high isolation over the last year, and that's not healthy for us. We were really built to be together in community, and so I hope you guys will at least consider picking up a book. I had some people pick up books for all their small group and other people. It's been really kind of a fun day to meet people. All right, I want to jump into the Word of God. We'll talk about one of the basic underlying concepts that really underpin this book and this process that I actually already see some of the DNA of this in this great church. You guys are part of a great church, seriously. Wow. So I want to jump into the word here. It says, my God will meet all your, everybody say the next word. All right. My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. I came all the way from Loveland, Colorado to here at Heartland to tell you that your needs matter to God. Your needs matter so much to God that he has tapped into the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus to meet your needs. Now, I've been in church all my life. How many of you were raised in church, all right? I have heard so many messages, so many messages of people that talk about how to have the right mindset while not getting what you need. How to have a great attitude while not getting what you need. How to have an overcoming mentality while not getting what you need. But the Bible says your needs actually matter to God enough that he means to meet them. Your needs matter to God. Before I was a lead pastor, I was a worship leader. I played keys back when that was cool, although these guys here are pretty awesome. Your band is so fun, and they're so good, and your singers are amazing. 
Man, so, so good. So I was a worship leader. For 16 summers, I led worship at a small summer camp called King's Camp in northeast Louisiana. That's where I'm from. And uh, guys, I was really good. Oh, you should have heard me. Come on, you'd have been so impressed. And I was impressed with myself. And, uh, and, and, you know, 16 years, and I thought, man, when I leave King's Camp, the worship ministry is just going to, you know, they're going to feel the void of this incredible talent and anointing that you see before you. And a younger worship leader, a, a young lady named Lauren Daigle, took over after me. So, <laughs> so they forgot my name. <laughs> anyway, so the first few years while I was leading worship, while I was leading worship there, there was a guest speaker. You know, we have different speakers every week. Two months every summer, we would go out and do King's Camp, and, and so we'd have eight different communicators, and one guy would come back every year. He became my hero, and now he's my father-in-law. His name is Don Boyette. We call him Brother Don Boyette, and so he was the camp speaker this particular week. Summers, just like in Indiana, summers in Louisiana get hot and humid, and how many of you know, how many of you have ever been to a youth camp, okay? You play hard, you work hard, it's hot, it's humid, and then they have church at like 8 o'clock at night. And how many of you know what happens, right? And these camp communicators would get really insecure because people were falling asleep while they were delivering the word of God. And so they would get insecure. They would embarrass the kids. They would call them out, hey, wake up. They would call them out there and say, you're being disrespectful. You are disrespecting me. Or you're rebellious, like an old word like that. <laughs> and so we learned as counselors and as staff to keep the kids awake because we didn't want them to get embarrassed by the insecure speaker. And so one particular day, this hero of mine is preaching away, doing a great job. And one of the tallest kids at the camp had been playing really hard and he started falling asleep. And have you ever seen somebody, they fall asleep ugly? Like, have you flown on a plane and seen someone next to you and you're like, you're not well. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, so, and so this kid just, I mean, mouth was open. And, uh, and so the counselor sees this and they know the drill. They don't want the kid to be embarrassed by the camp speaker. And so the counselor starts to walk over. He's going to wake up uh, the camper. And as the counselor is moving over toward the sleeping camper, the speaker, my hero, my father-in-law now, Don Boyette, he said, hey, what are you doing? And we thought he was calling out the student. Have you guys ever been called out, singled out in a big room? I'm not going to do it to you. I'm just messing with you. <laughs> I thought about it. Uh, keep you awake for sure. Uh, I've had it happen. So anyway, this, this speaker says, hey, what are you doing? Turns out he was calling out the counselor. And the counselor looked at him and said, I'm just want to wake him up. And this man, my hero, he says, why? Can't you see he's tired? <laughs> Isn't that great? Can't you see he's tired? And it was like, for the first time, this paradigm shift, I thought, wait, wait a minute. Maybe the kid was sleeping not out of disrespect or out of rebellion. Maybe, just maybe, he was tired. Guys, there are a couple of open seats next to you. If you need a nap, just go ahead right now, whatever you need. Because <laughs> your needs matter to God. But it was, it, was, it was liberating for me. It was kind of actually great because this pastor, instead of humiliating this kid for getting what he was needing, he was protecting his dignity and actually kind of calling out the religious structure. And that's what religion does, doesn't it? It says, hey, don't worry about what you need. You feed into what we need. And God says, no, actually, you matter enough 
that I'm going to supply the things that you need. And so it's important for us to know what are the things that we actually need. And I want to talk to you about two things that every person on earth needs. And I'm talking about one of these actually a survival need. The other one is right next to that. All right, the first one, the first need, every one of us has it, is the need for attachment. Okay, I don't know if you know this, but when a baby is born, if that baby is not held and loved and cuddled and connected and attached, please hear me, that baby will not survive physically. So attachment is actually a survival need for a developing child. Now there's a, let's look at the other end of life, right? Longevity, living a long time. There's a study out of Harvard, 75 years in the making, made up entirely of men. They're studying these men to see who lives the longest. What are some of the contributing factors to living a long life? Now you might ask, why is it, why was it all men? Because 75 years ago, only men attended Harvard. It would be a couple of decades later that the truly intelligent student body began to show up. Hallelujah. I got a hallelujah today. And all the men are like, what are you talking about? I don't understand what you're saying. So what they found is that the most correlated uh, characteristic connected to living a long time, more than cholesterol, more than fitness, and more than nutrition. Now, those things are hugely important, but more correlated than those three things to living a long time, everybody hear me, is the number and depth of relationships. And so for us to survive as infants and for us to live a long time, please hear me, you and I were created for connection. We were created not to be isolated, but to be in community, all right? So you were created for attachment. But there's another need that we have is the need to be authentic. My grandson, I showed you a couple of pictures of that strapping, strapping young lad, my grandson, Johnny. Before he could even talk, he was, able, he was able to communicate his needs. We're talking about how much your needs matter. Before he could even form words, he could communicate his needs. When my grandson was hungry, that little guy, he was thinking about it. He was feeling it. He was, it was in his gut. He was, he was ready to make it happen to get his needs met. And my little baby, my little baby grandson, he, let me tell you what he did not do when he got hungry. He would not say, <clears throat> excuse me, father, I hunger. <laughs> no, what does he do? And I mean, there, it's unignorable because he knows, yes, right? How many parents out there? You guys know, right? He's authentic. And what I have seen happen in almost every one of us, and maybe every one of us, either in cases of abuse or even normal parenting, what we do and what was done to us, even with good parents. Some of you have awesome moms and dads. Some of you, like me, have had abusive parents. My father was abusive. Actually, I was taken from my home at 16 years of age to live with another family. And the counselor that intervened in my situation went on to win the Louisiana Angel Award for her work with at-risk youth. Isn't that awesome? But no matter your case, I'm telling you, all of us, have these two fundamental needs, and they bump up against each other sometimes. And what we, even with our kids, even good parents, we unintentionally teach our kids in a hundred different ways that if you want to stay attached to me, you're going to have to sacrifice some of your authenticity. All right? And let me just give you an example. Like You think of us kind of as thinking creatures, as feeling creatures, and then primal. Let's look at each of these, how we're taught. If you want to stay attached, you got to sacrifice that. You know, kids who ask questions, man, aren't they the worst? 
my nephew, Charlie, is in the Y phase of his development, a little guy. And I asked my brother-in-law, I said, how many times in a day does Charlie ask why? And he said, I'll count. And the next day he counted. Over 200 times Charlie asked, how many of you know that will break you down psychologically? It's like, why? Why? I don't know anymore. And so what happens, these kids are trying to develop, to develop their thinking selves, and they sometimes even get punished for it. Or if a kid asks a question, how do I know God is real? And instead of engaging their mind and helping them think through those realities, we get a little threatened and sometimes even discipline our kids for thinking. And that can create a separation where it's okay, it's, if I want to stay attached to mom and dad, I can't, I can't dig around in those areas in my thought life. Or how about our heart? The Bible says that <laughs> to everything there's a season, a time to cry, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance. Well, listen, these little guys, little girls, they have all those same emotions. And so when you take a toy from them and they love that toy and they start mourning, then they get in trouble. Because the only legal emotions for our kids is neutral to happy. Boy, it's quiet in here. It's like, no, you get over it. Well, give them a minute. Let them have their emotional space. Sometimes kids need to process things emotionally. Yes? All right, what about gut? The thing that moves us. It's like the emotional immune system. If somebody crosses our boundary, the gut is the thing that it's like, okay, you got to back off. There's a kid who moved in from out of town to our Christian school. We have 1,300 students at a Christian school at my church. And this kid, uh, uh, just he's brand new to the school, and he went out to the playground. And all these other kids literally formed a circle around him. They all knew each other. And they started making fun of him and bullying him. And this little kid rose up in the power of the Holy Ghost, and he decided to minister a little justice. <laughs> he's probably from Indiana. Okay, who do you think got in trouble? That kid, for defending himself, got in trouble. Pastor Jonathan, are you suggesting, are you advocating for violence? No. No, no, what I'm saying is, but sometimes when a boundary is crossed, we need to let our kids know it's okay to stand up for yourself. So what happens is our head, our thinking self, our heart, our emotional self, and our gut, our primal self, in a hundred different ways we're taught if you want to stay connected to us, you got to break off some of that stuff. And then as we grow up, we realize that different versions, different communities will accept and remain attached to different versions of us. So you got your work, Jonathan. You got your romance, Jonathan. He's the one who, you know, uh, has the breath mint. Uh, you got your friends, <laughs> Friends, Jonathan, you got your church, Jonathan, civic group, right? These different versions of us. And then there's this part of us that we don't show anybody. We kind of hold it aside. It's like, wow, if you knew that about me, you would reject me, right? And this is where a lot of guilt and shame comes from. Now, guilt and shame are different, and guilt can actually be good for us. But shame is never good. Guilt says, I did something wrong, and sometimes we do. But shame says, I am something wrong. Now, if you don't hear anything else I say today, please hear me say this. Shame is never a good thing. Shame is glue that keeps us stuck to the behaviors that we're ashamed of. And that is the reason the accuser deals in shame so much. You ever thought about that? Satan's job description 
is to accuse you. It's like, you didn't just lie, you're a liar. What is that about? Well, some people ought to be ashamed. Really? I think some of us pour shame on ourselves, and we start doing the devil's job for him. And I tell you, if shame is good for you, then Satan would be your life coach, not the enemy of your soul. I thought that was clever. Thank you. All right. But God doesn't want you to operate and perform out of shame. God wants you and me to operate out of authenticity, out of a confidence that we won't lose our attachment if we're real. You know, there's a warning against performance, and that's what religion is. Religion is just performance. There's a warning in the Bible that says, do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy. Okay? Do not desire his delicacies, for he is like one who is inwardly calculating. Thousands of years ago, there's this beautiful insight that some of us act differently on the outside than we calculate on the inside. We're talking about authenticity and attachment today. Don't depend on the performance of people whose hearts are not with you. I'm talking about in your marriage, with your kids, with your coworkers, in your church. Do not count on people to come through because they owe you something if their heart is not with you. And it goes on and it says this. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. Do you know God does not want you to give money to Heartland Church unless your heart is so for God that there's no pressure, there's no compulsion. It's like, no, it is my honor to honor God with my tithe. It's my honor to see all that Heartland is doing to plant churches and establish water wells and do humanitarian work and bring unity among different groups of people in this area. And it is my honor, <clears throat> excuse me, it's my honor to invest in those things because I love God to my bones. Right? Yeah. <clears throat> so God is saying, hey, no more of this shame-based performance. Start in, the, start in where your heart is. Be honest with yourself and then operate out of that. We need to be in a place, an environment, and I believe Heartland is a place where we can be both attached and authentic. Let me change those words a little bit now. Where we can be both loved and known. Loved and known. What if you could really be both loved and known? Excuse me. <clears throat> we need both, not just one or the other. Tim Keller said this. To be loved and not known is comforting, but superficial. I had a mentor that used to tell me, you're doing good, Wiggins. He called me Wiggins like I was on a football team. You're doing good, Wiggins. I'm like, that felt great, but it felt kind of superficial. So I'd be like, so what did I do that was so great? Oh, I don't know. I just say that to people. <laughs> That's terrible. Stop doing that. All right. To be known and not loved is terrifying. For someone to know something about you, but they don't care about you, they don't love you, they're not for you, that, that's horrifying. Have you ever been in an experience like that? But to be loved and known is a lot like being loved by God. God already knows you, and his love for you is not threatened. Isn't that beautiful? And when you and I get into an environment, and I believe our small groups here are like that, I believe this church is built on these principles that we love you just like you are and we want to know your real story. We want to know who you really are. That all kinds of healing can take place. 
When you're in a place like that, then instead of having to perform different, be a different person for different groups, you can start to heal. Instead of hiding in shame, guys, all shame is, is the fear that if you knew the authentic me, you would reject me. So if we're in an environment where rejection is not possible, then shame becomes irrational. And so instead of hiding, I can say, you know what? Instead of being judged or rejected, I'm going to be helped. I'm going to be helped. There's a process that really <clears throat> maximizes the, the culture of, of, of creating an environment that allows people to be both loved and known and minimizes the risk. We call it walking with lions. And here's the process. And once you see it, you cannot unsee it. First step is just relate. Okay, like July 10th, we're all going to be uh, breaking a sweat together, serving and serve day. We're just going to be doing life with somebody that day, some people that day. Then get to know them a little bit. And then follow up. Go to Top Golf. Top Golf is golf for people that are terrible at golf. <laughs> Take a walk with somebody. There's like a mile trail around this property. It's a beautiful place. Like, Go on a walk. Do something. Just start to relate. What you'll find is when you relate with someone enough, I mean, no agenda, just doing life together, what will happen naturally is trust will begin to form. We'll start to tell each other our stories. It's like, hey, this is what makes me, me. You know, my father was this. My mom was this. This is what makes me who I am. This is what I do, and, and this is why I do it. And you start to really get to know each other through that storytelling, through that trust, Enough time relating and enough time building trust, it will lead to disclosure or confession. Where you actually say, hey, I'm going to tell you something now I've never told anybody. It keeps me up at night. It stresses me. But I trust you, and so I want to share a secret with you. Some of you have heard this before, but you're only as sick as your secrets. You're only as sick as your secrets. Who, who in your life knows everything about you? Somebody in your life needs to know everything about you. Once you build enough trust that you start to confess, a lot of people think that's where the journey ends, but it's actually not where it ends. It's the riskiest part. But if you and I trust someone enough to tell them our secrets, then we ought to trust them enough to speak back into our situation what's true. You know, this processing step, I think, is the most important. A couple years ago, I was talking to a counselor, and I went really deep into the details of my abuse at the hands of my father, and he abused me in any way a kid can be abused. And so I was telling this counselor, here's what happened, and he became angry, which was kind of a little weird and kind of awesome too. You know, he was angry for me. And I'm like, what, what, is, what are you so angry about? He said, do you realize that what you're describing, I mean, in, in like human rights uh, manuals, this is the definition of, of torture. You were tortured. I'd never thought of that before. And he said, Jonathan, you do realize this was not your fault. This was not your fault. And I broke. And some of you need to hear that. What happened to you all those years ago was not your fault. There's nothing to be ashamed of. And what happened when that processing moment, when someone I trusted spoke truth in a place where I believed a lie, it updated my operating system. Instead of being stuck in old, you know, kind of a years old, but like me being very young, that critical thinking of, of an eight-year-old, even though I'm in my 40s now, someone speaking truth in that processing moment updated my operating system, my critical thinking to now where I'm like an adult. And I realized it's not my fault my dad did, did that to me. You guys hear what I'm saying? 
This is huge. Have you ever had a phone that it kept saying time to update your operating system and you just don't do it? What happens to your phone? It starts to get a little glitchy. Have you ever been around a person who's a little bit glitchy? Because a lot of times it's because they don't let people speak truth into those places that they've been broken and believe a lie. But you and I can let someone process with us. Someone who loves us but is not impressed by us. Someone who has a track record of restoration and redemption. The Bible says, if a person is overtaken in a fault, let those who are spiritual restore them. Somebody that has that kind of track record, let them speak into your life. You'll be amazed what God can do. And it will lead you to what I call integration, but it's just wholeness. Think about when Jesus is asked, Master, what's the greatest commandment? He says, well, how do you read it? Well, I think it's love the Lord your God with all. We're talking about integration, wholeness, all your heart. With all your mind, not just the parts of your thought life that you're proud of. With all your soul, with all your strength. And then love your neighbor as well as you love you. And Jesus said, oh, all of the prophets and all of scripture is about that. Think about that for a minute. Jesus said that the entire Bible is about you learning to love you. Learning to love God 100% and letting the love that God has for you flow through you to other people. That's the whole point of the entire Bible and all the prophets. All your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength and loving other people from that place of wholeness. Once you walk through a process with relationships where people love you and they want to know you, and they say, hey, we have two values here. We're going to love you no matter what, and I want to know the real you. Healing can come. And it will change the way you pray. Think about this. The Bible says, confess your faults one to another and pray together because those prayers are effectual. They change the world. I don't know. I don't know if you know this, but sometimes we pray formal prayers. But when you're around people that know all your secrets, you pray differently. Right? And those are the prayers that change the world. You'll read the Bible differently when you live this way. Think about this, for example. The Bible says there's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. In other words, you're not going to be rejected. You're not going to be hurt. There's no reason for you to be afraid anymore because love is here. Isn't that beautiful? The one who fears is not made perfect in love. It's like just keep growing in this atmosphere and you will lose your fear. I've experienced that myself. And think about this, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. That's not God saying, I don't care that you're making mistakes. I don't care about that. What he's saying is, I know the environment to get you healthy, where you can live authentically a holy life. I came across this quote and kind of speaks to why I named the book Walking with Lions. It says, the greatest fear in the world is the opinion of others. And the moment you are unafraid of the crowd, you are no longer a sheep. You become a lion. A great roar arises in your heart, the roar of freedom. And then the Bible says this, the wicked run away when no one is chasing them. In other words, they're driven by fear. Real fear, perceived fear, imagined fear. But godly people are as bold, confident, courageous as lions. My prayer for you is that you will know what it's like to be 
in a church just like, like Heartland where, where people are saying, hey, we love you. That's our default statement. We love you no matter what. And now we want to get to know you so that you and I can heal, we can lose our fear, and we can become courageous as lions. That's my prayer for you. You guys glad you came to church today? What I want to do right now is speak to a group of you in the room. You know you're not right with God, and you want to get right with God today. If that's you, I want to pray for you right where you sit. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way, but I would like to know who I'm praying for. So every head bowed, every eye closed all over the room. If that's you, and you would say, hey, Jonathan, I'd like you to pray for me. I want to get right with God today. Would you just raise your hand so I know who I'm praying for? Just a moment. Scanning the room. God bless you. Thank you. I'm just going to wait a moment here. All right, you can put your hands down. I just want to pray over you. Let's all just pray together. Father, we thank you that you see not just the hands that went up, but you see our hearts. We say yes to you. We say yes to your will and your way. We say that you are our Lord, our Savior. Thank you, Lord, for what you did at the cross, which is the power of God into salvation. We commit our lives to you. We want to walk in fellowship with you and your church. We bless you. We thank you for salvation and new life. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. God bless you. I'll see you in the lobby. God bless you guys.